0: we're in um, week number two of, of a new series uh, called The Last Supper. Uh, we started last weekend and we're going to carry on over uh, the next few weekends, uh, kind of trying to get behind some of the teaching that Jesus brings uh, at this really important point in his life and ministry. Um, if we look at The Last Supper uh, alongside the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew f- you know, 5, 6, and 7, and his parables, you get the vast bulk of uh, of the kind of kind of intentional teaching that Jesus brings to his disciples. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of treat the Last Supper and the teachings of the Last Supper as a response out of Easter. Uh, and so, yeah, we're in, we're in part two today. And as Ohi read, uh, we're looking at uh, a section in which Jesus talks about love, talks about love uh, to his disciples. So I'm going to... Uh, open with a story uh, from my own background and uh, this uh, involves when I, I was, many of you will know this, but I was born out in Zimbabwe and um, I grew up there until the age of eight and then my family came to the UK um, but uh, when, when, when we were living in Zimbabwe we lived kind of on the outskirts of town and uh, my nan and grandad uh, used to live in a flat, kind of a third story flat uh, in kind of near, not that far from the centre of town in fact And uh, once in a while, uh, like, you know, kind of four, five, six, and seven, that kind of age, uh, my parents would maybe go out for the night and they'd bring me in to see my nan and granddad and stay the night. And when this was communicated to me, it was just a very, very joyful thing because my nan and granddad were just great, great fun. Um, really, really welcomed me. Um, now, my, my, uh, my nan was a nurse and she would set up her shift so that she could look after me for the, for the time that I went and stayed all the time. So I always, was always with my nan. But sometimes my granddad, who was a, he was a fireman. Sometimes he was on shift, so he might not have been there. Or sometimes you had to be a bit quiet because he was sleeping, because he'd come off a night shift, that kind of thing. But my nan was always around. Uh, and uh, going and staying uh, with my granddad grandparents was always brilliant and now my Nan was a, was, a, was a woman who she made you know that you were loved she absolutely made you feel loved on the inside let me give you some examples of how she did that so she, she was a person for whom there was great evidence that she thought about me when I wasn't there uh, and the reason I knew this was because when I arrived at Nan and Grandad's to, to stay the night um, there would usually be a pile of Beano comics on the side in the kitchen now, she was somebody who would go through the paper, It used to come with the paper, the Beano comic, and she'd collect them up over the weeks. Uh, and by the time I arrived, there'd be a whole stash, and I'd have to kind of whiz into the kitchen, and there they were on the side. And I, you know, I've always been a, a bit of a fan of the Beano comic, but as a lad, that was just an awesome thing to receive. Now, she'd always have things uh, available for me as well. We'd get there, there'd be treats, there'd be cake and biscuits and you know, great things to enjoy. There'd often be little cars to play with. She, she just understood... How I received love. I don't know how she did it, but she did. I always felt absolutely doted on when I was around my nan and granddad's. You know, like she'd put me to bed in the spare room and then uh, I'd go off to sleep. And in the morning, at the foot of my bed, there'd be a packet of crisps to wake up to. I mean, come on, what's not to love about that? I'd wake up at a bed, oh yeah, packet of crisps, you know. I mean, she just understood a small boy's mind so, so well. And I always felt immensely loved. By my nan. I, mean, I totally understand, you know, my, my granddad was brilliant as well and he was great fun. But my nan, she just doted on me and I felt it in my heart. Really, really did. And I hope that for some of us sitting here today, that we've had characters like that in our family. Perhaps it was our mum and dad. I mean, our mums and dads, they love us, but they set the boundaries, don't they? They set the consequences. They tell us that it's time to go to bed and all that stuff. And of course, the love is very, very strong towards our mum and dads. But there's something special about grandparents, isn't there? And there's something special about aunts and uncles that maybe they have you for a, a night or two and, and and you just get that extra level of permission and that extra level of loving blessing upon you. Uh, it's just a really, really nice thing to receive. So I hope that. Some some of you have received that and you know what I'm talking about if you just cast your mind uh, back to your own childhoods. Now love is a strange thing because love is one of those things that's uh, kind of unique to the pers- the people it's between. You know, it's got its own identity, hasn't it? So you know, like if you're connected with somebody and there's a strong love between you, it's because they love your character and you love their character and it's often built up over time, over specific circumstances. So. I would say the anatomy of love is a unique thing between people, uh, and it varies from person to person, so it's quite difficult to talk about uh, general principles around love because it's often very specific. Um, But what Ohi read this morning, and what we're looking at in the Last Supper, is something about love. And, and Jesus says something about it. Let me just refresh your memory from verse 34 there. And you can, you can follow this along in your, uh, you, uh, your version app uh, through the event. Uh, we've got some notes there. And you can add your own notes as we go. Uh, John 13 verse 34 says this. Um, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Uh, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another one another. It's quite an interesting thing that Jesus says there. And have you noticed that he says this, he says it's a new command, a new command. And When I, when I was reading this through and thinking about how to prepare uh, for, for today's message about love, I was, I was really struck by that. A new command, love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Why, why is that new? Surely we've heard Jesus talking about love before. Surely we've had instruction about what it means to love somebody, to love God, to to receive love in return. We would be right if we thought that. And if we jump back to Matthew 22 uh, from verse 37, what we find is there's a scribe who kind of steps out of the crowd and he asks Jesus this question and he says, so what are the greatest commandments, Jesus? You know, like if you were to sum up everything from the Old Testament, Jesus, what are the main things that we should take away from the Old Testament? And Jesus replies and he says two very key things. And you can pick that, you can pick that up uh, in verse 37 of Matthew 22 there. It says... Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And in some of the other gospels it says with all your strength as well. Um, This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he says this, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we've already seen something where Jesus has responded to a question and he's clarified what are the greatest things that we should know from the Old Testament? And they're about love. They're about loving God, and they're about loving our neighbor as ourself. And when you think about loving your neighbor as yourself, that's a great standard to aim for. So in other words, the, the kind of love that you would like to have, that should be the kind of love that you are putting out there. So if you think that it's loving for you to um, have the freedom to um, you know, go and get a job uh, and buy a house and get married and set up a family and go on holiday, if you think those are all basically loving, kind of all right things to have for yourself, what Jesus is teaching with this command or reminding us from this command is actually that those are things that are all right for other people to have too. That there's a, there's a, a parity of standard between everybody. And so the kind of standards we'd we'd be be applying to ourselves Should be the kind of standards we should be applying to other people When it comes to love Does that that follow? You're kind of with me so far There's there's a a, a level there, isn't there? We're all kind of getting the same love Um, And there's no hypocrisy in there It's not like I'm loving myself to a kind of Beverly Hills standard And then you you guys can go and have like a a real kind of awful low standard With hardly any money and all that stuff No, it's not like that Jesus is saying don't do that That's not what love is, love needs to have an equality about it for everybody, okay? Now, that's back in Matthew 22, and um, then we get to this part of the Last Supper which is not long before Jesus goes to the cross, but he says this, I give you a new command, love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. So there's something new going on here. There's an uplift in mind. And I I wanna propose that it's the same kind of uplift that we get when Jesus starts his ministry with the Sermon on the Mount and he starts referencing things from the Old Testament and he says, you've heard it said there, but I now say to you. So in, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he might say something like, uh, you have heard it said don't murder, and now I say to you don't even be angry. Okay, so there's an uplift there. There was the Old Testament standard, then Jesus comes along and he lifts it up a notch. He takes it to the next level. Uh, Another example might be that Jesus would teach in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But now I say to you, don't even plot revenge. And what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is he takes these core Old Testament teachings and ideas and and principles, and he says, no, I'm gonna give them an uplift, and the way I'm gonna do that is I'm I'm gonna give them an uplift by taking them back into your interior mental landscape. This isn't just going to be about your actions on the outside, like don't murder. This is going to be deal with the feelings and thoughts and emotions on the inside in your head that make you want to murder. Because if you deal with it back here, then it will be even better. That's the uplift. And so we have a whole set of the, these teachings going on. There's about eight of them, I think, if you count them up in, the, in, the, in Matthew 5, 6 and 7, in which Jesus goes kind of extra. He goes kind of plus on what the Old Testament was saying. You with me so far? Now, what I think is happening here in John's gospel is that he does the same thing with love, but he waits till the end of his ministry to do it. And in a sense, that makes kind of perfect sense, doesn't it? Because you, you can teach people kind of theory, you can give them instruction, and they'll receive it in a, in a degree, and he does that a lot at the beginning of his ministry. But really, to talk about love, people need to have traveled with you for a while. They need to have had an experience of who you are To then hear your teaching about love. Like if I was brand new today, um, like you'd be going, yeah, okay, well, I hear you, Nick, but we kind of don't know too much about you. You know, so I'll I'll hear it on the surface, but we haven't had an experience of who you are. But the reality is that because you've been here for a while, you've got, there's a bit more to me. And so hopefully I can bring you a bit more in terms of teaching on something as big as love. So I think that's what Jesus is doing. He's teaching on love towards the end of his ministry because he's had that time in the bank with the disciples for those three years. Does that make sense? Now, the new thing that he's bringing is not just loving each other from how we would like to be loved, but love each other from how Jesus loves. And there's a difference there. You following me? Okay, so don't love from the template of how you like to receive love. Love from the template of how Jesus expresses love and models love And in a sense that's like both a big blessing and a big challenge It's a big blessing because it lifts off the responsibility for us to manufacture a standard of love But at the same time we have to step over into Jesus' standard of love and go, oh my goodness, that's really hard Jesus Uh, And you've not made it easy for us because you set a gold standard here and that's really difficult But we have a model at least to follow You with me so far? Yeah, You drink it in, you take it in Okay, good In other words, love others from the template of what Jesus shows is how to love Don't be trying to make it up like how you think love looks like And there's a difference between those two things Now you're not to be discredited or no one's having a go at you having an attempt to love people Of course that's fine But who's to say that your model for love is is right or or correct? In fact, I'd I'd suggest it probably is going to have flaws because we're all human and we do our best, but it's not necessarily going to be the standard that Jesus would have for us. And so hence, he says, I give you a new command, love one another, not as you love each other, but just as I have loved you. There's the newness, there's the standard that Jesus is offering to his disciples and encouraging them to go on. So that then leads us to a, a massive, massive question, which is this, how do we love like Jesus? How do we do that? That's a hard question to answer, and it's as hard as there are different people in the room and different scenarios to envisage Because if you, if, uh, you, know, if you sit there and think about it, there have been many, many times where Jesus has loved you in a particular way in your life, in your journey where you've received that and it's been specific for you. A little bit like how my nan and, and myself would have a, a, a great time around her flat and we'd kind of dance to music on the radio and pat balloons to each other and I'd have sweets and I'd be delighted. She did things that were specific in my journey of our relationship, and no doubt Jesus will be doing the same things for you in your journey that are specific between you. There will be that miracle of provision that he came through for you on. There will be a prophetic word. There will be something where a a group of people in the church did something for you. There will be that insight one morning when you're reading your word, and he speaks to you really clearly, and all of those things add up to a great long tapestry of love over time between you and Jesus. So for me to stand up here on a Sunday morning and go, well, this is, what, this is how you love, how, like Jesus loves. That's me trying to invade all of your personal relationships with Jesus, and that's really hard to do. I don't know how he's loved you. I know that he has, and he will, and he does now. But I want to, I, I want to just say to you, that's a unique journey for you. For, for, the, for those of us who know Jesus in the room, that will be something that's particular and personal to you. Just think for a moment of all the ways in which Jesus has shown you his love. It's pretty comprehensive if you get into it. And when I was preparing my messages, I was thinking, oh man, how do do I unpack this? How do I teach that? How do we get behind this? So what I've decided to do is I'm going to pick some things and show you some areas where I think Jesus loves well. He loves really, really well. Uh, And if you can get these into your heads and and kind of into your hearts, and if you can start to copy how he loves in these areas yourselves, the world would be a much, much better place. It really would. It would be a fantastic place, in fact. Um, The first thing I wanna maybe offer to us about Jesus' love for us is that he loves us out of our past. He loves us out of our past. What I mean by that is that Jesus looks at our past And all of it's sins and failings and mistakes and warts and all kind of picture. And he says, I forgive that. I forgive you for all that stuff from your past. And therefore we are set free from our past. And we are not defined by our past anymore. And Jesus pays for that at the cross. That's what he goes to the cross to do. That that, uh, we're released from that. We don't have to be tethered back to the story of all the wrongs and the woes that we would otherwise be carrying around just imagine for a moment Jesus wasn't there every single person in this room everyone in the live stream We'd be thinking about all the stuff that we've done in the past for which there would be no escape we, we would not be let off. There would be no slate being wiped clean So Jesus loves us out of our past Uh, Let me share a brief story with you. There was a couple called Jack and Louise. Uh, This is a couple that Chloe and I uh, have known. And um, they got married in that first 18 months of marriage. It was marital bliss. It was great. And then um, as they started to get kind of more real with their lives, it started to become apparent that Jack had a drinking problem. And in fact, this drinking problem escalated quite quickly, and Jack would often be out, he'd often be late home, he'd, um, he'd, you know, he'd often be really drunk, uh, he started not working, um, and, and Louise started to say, listen, this is not working at all, uh, if you carry on like this, we are going to have to separate. And things got worse and worse and worse, uh, and in the end, she kind of booted him out and said, listen, I can't, I can't deal with this in, in, in our married lives together. Um, And so uh, Jack went and uh, uh, sort of uh, did some sofa surfing, went around some friends, uh, started to kind of, you know, get things started to get really bad for him. He started to drink even more because of the pain of the separation. Um, And in the end, uh, Louise said to him, listen, if we can't turn this around or you can't hold yourself accountable for your behaviour, we are going to have to get a divorce and I'm going to have to move on with my life because I, I can't fix you. Only you can fix you. And in a sense she kind of had some healthy boundaries but it was tough and she was inexperienced and so was he and he was in a mess And so in the end she she did divorce him and they got divorced and they got separated and when the news of that came through he went even worse Uh, And he had a really really tough time of it for a few years, really difficult And then one particular weekend he had a really severe drinking session and ended up in a gutter somewhere but he had one of these strange moments of clarity that sometimes we have when we're a- absolutely up against it. When, when all the chips are down, sometimes, when, when you've reached the very end of yourself, sometimes you have a moment of clarity, don't you? And from his drunken place, he kind of had this insight, if I don't fix this, I'm going to die. If I do this again, I'm going to be dead. And, and, and so he kind of, the next day, decided to totter into an AA meeting, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, which is founded upon Christian principles, which describes the help available from a higher power. And he found it was incredibly relevant to his life because there were other guys in that, it was a bloke's only one, there were other guys in that setting who understood what he was going through. They understood the pain he was trying to drink to drown, to sort of to, to numb out. And they started to give him words and vocabulary that he could understand his journey and suddenly he found himself two weeks in having not had a drink and the two weeks became two months and then the two months became six months and he started to make a turnaround he started to be, he was dry basically, he ended the drinking he actually did it with the help of AA it's an incredible recovery story and then around about 18 months later after this he ran into Louise in the street and she could not believe her eyes she was stunned to see the turnaround. Didn't believe it. Was quite amazed that he'd turned it around. And then they got talking, and then they got talking some more, and then they agreed to meet up again. And then she, over, over a few months, she started to realize that the man that she'd originally felt in love with was actually there all along. And she started to have feelings for him again. Uh, and so the long and the short of it was that she agreed to remarry him when he asked her. Uh, and she said, I do. I do. Now that is a powerful story, isn't it? And it's an unusual story and so often it doesn't work out but for this couple, Jack and Louise, and these are a couple I've changed their names to protect their, to protect their dignity this is a couple that Chloe and I have known for a long, long time and they've done really, really well so, so proud of them to have made that recovery but the deal with Louise was that she was able to forgive Jack she was able to look at his recovery, look at his heart look at his determination to do the right thing and she was able to go, I'm going to release you from the past, and I'm going to commit to living now on. And that, in essence, is what Jesus does for us. Sure. Jesus gives us a new start. Jesus gives us um, uh, the love that releases us from our past. He loves us out of our past. And so if, if that's a standard that Jesus has in, our, in, his, uh, you know, in his command to us, love like I've loved then we've got to do like Louise did. We've got to do as Jesus does. And my question then to you is, who is there that you need to forgive in your life? Who is there in in your life that you need to not hold the past over anymore? Who is there? Because everybody in this room is going to have history with some people that's hurt them. It's going to be there. And what Jesus is asking us with this new command is, no, release them like I've released you. Amen. And we find it in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Yes. Forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who've trespassed against us. There's a link there. Jesus loves us out of our past. That's, that's the first thing I want to say in terms of the incredible love that Jesus shows us. Um, and if you're someone that's uh, maybe kind of done the wrong thing in front of God or you, you are struggling with your own wrongdoing and you want to get right with God, can I recommend Psalm 51 to you? Psalm 51 is an awesome psalm to read out loud if you've done the wrong thing before God and you just know it and you need to get right with him. It's an awesome, awesome psalm to read out loud and, and you'll feel God's blessing upon you as you read it and he, he will, it says, restore to me the joy of my salvation in that psalm. And you get that back if you're genuinely sorry for the wrong stuff you've done. Psalm 51 is a great help. So firstly, Jesus loves us out of our past. Secondly, Jesus loves us alongside our day-to-day. Jesus loves us alongside our day-to-day. Now that sounds a little obvious, but what I'm saying by that is that Jesus gives us company. He gives us his company, we have his presence alongside us all the time, he walks day to day through life with us. There's a wonderful episode at the end of Luke, in Luke chapter four where um, it's kind of Easter Sunday and there are two disciples walking on this road to a place called Emmaus and Jesus comes alongside them and it says in the the wording that Luke brings that they, they were kept from recognizing him. And I think that's like a bit of a picture of how much Jesus walks alongside us and we just don't realize it. Jesus walks alongside us in our day-to-day all the time. He is there alongside us all the time, and it's one of the main ways in which he loves us. Um, I just wanted to share a slightly sad story with you, but it's kind of a good story too. Um, There's a lady in our church, uh, a lady called Lynette Gordon, and she's been around our church, well, kind of forever, it seems. A fantastic lady, and two Thursdays ago, she passed away. She's in her 90s. She's the sweetest, kindest, most full of love person you'd ever want to meet. Uh, When you'd meet her, your heart melts. She's just a gorgeous person. Is a gorgeous person. Amazing person. Um, and a couple of Thursdays ago We knew that she's not been well for a while we had a te- Chloe had a text from her granddaughter Saying hey listen things aren't looking good Can you come and pray And Chloe and I had the privilege of going round And I sat on the bed next to her And put my arm around her and prayed with her And you could feel the release in her Of the pastors come round and prayed And, and, and that, she, that, she set great store by that she was a person who, uh, in our Wednesday fellowship, for, you know, we have a gathering for some of our older citizens on a Wednesday morning. When other people prayed through scripture, she would mouth it along just off by heart. She just knew it. She's a great, great person. Highly loved her and respected her. Um, but then later in the day, we, we went away from that. That morning, we said, hey, listen, let us know. You just passed as intuition. Something's gonna happen in the next few days. But then that evening, we got another text to say, hey, very so- sad to say, but Lynette's passed away. And in fact, we're going to be holding her funeral here, uh, I think, 27th of, of May, if, if, for those of you who know her. But my point about the story about Lynette is that when we, when we went round, rather, kind of in the evening of that night, the house was jammed. It was absolutely jammed with people. I know that some of you from that household are going to be watching online, and, and our hearts and our thoughts are with you today. But when we went in to pray with the family, were must, I was genuinely concerned we would make the floor collapse. There was like 35 of us in her bedroom, and we gathered around, and she was lying on the bed, and we prayed. And we read a little bit of scripture. In fact, we read something from John 14, which we're going to cover in a future installment of this series, The Last Supper. And again, the peace of the, uh, the, peace of the Lord settled in the room. He was there. Now, Lynette's a person who, because she journeyed with Jesus and because she had the love of God on the inside of her, coalesced people around her all the time. She was never lonely. She was somebody for whom this reality that Jesus loves us alongside our day-to-day was very apparent and it flowed through her. And other people could feel it and they were drawn to it. If you have Jesus on the inside of you a lot, you're going to have a lot of friends a lot of your life, is what I'm saying. You know, the purpose of church is that we experience the company of Jesus through people. There we go, a great working definition of church, experiencing the presence of Jesus through his people. That's what church is. And Let me remind you some of the names of Jesus. You'll know some of these names already, but we often say this one at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus loves us alongside our day-to-day so much that he even has a title that he says he's God with us. He says things like, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He says that to you right now in your day. I don't know if you're in church and you're tired, but Jesus says, bring that tiredness to me, and I will give you rest, because he walks with you day by day by day. That's one of the main ways in which he loves us. He says, "I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age." At the end of Matthew, when the disciples are being given the commission, uh, he says, or uh, well, it's reported that he said, in, "From Hebrews 13:5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No, not ever." Romans 8:38, nothing could separate us from the love of God. One of the main ways that Jesus loves us is he walks alongside us in our day to day, in addition to sorting out our past. And so if there's something that you want to copy Jesus in in this respect is Who is it that could do with your company? Who is it that could do, do with your presence alongside them? Um, you know, Age Concern, which is a charity that helps old people and, uh, and ministers to them Particularly in their loneliness um, They have this, uh, th- this thing that they offer some old people You can sign up and you get a call, a phone call a day um, and, and that phone call is made by volunteers, and the volunteers ring up. And, you know, this is not something Lynette needed because she had such a fantastic family around her who loved her so much and was completely surrounded by loving people. But for some of us, you know, that, that journey into old age is marked by a bit more loneliness than God would want. And that's the reason we have church, is so that you're not lonely. And, and you know, you, as pastors, we often badger you guys to come to church. It's not for us, it's for you to have a connection and to be linked to Jesus yourselves. We don't want for you to be lonely, but what age-concern reports sometimes is that phone call that an old person might sign up to receive is the only thing they get from a human being all day. I don't know about you, but I find that pretty heartbreaking. One conversation in a day between, between you and another person, and I know you've got the radio and I know you've got the TV, but it's not the same as a real person. Jesus loves us alongside our day-to-day and he wants to keep you company. That's what I'm saying. So is there somebody in our lives that we can give company back to, that we can be a companion alongside? Lastly, Jesus loves us into our future. First one, Jesus loves us out of our past. He sorts out the issues from the past and gives us a new start, wipes the slate clean. Secondly, Jesus loves us alongside us in our day-to-day and he does it all the time, we just don't always see it. Thirdly, he loves us into our future. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, something that we've been doing on team for a few years now is we go away to a conference uh, kind of a couple of times a year, spring and autumn. It's kind of like two nights away and we have really great leadership input. And one time there was a speaker who talked about how you can release potential in people is by saying, I see in you. In fact, they even use the letters, I C N U which I had to have the team explain to me again recently, what's that? I said, like, oh yes, yeah, I see in you. When you say, I see in you to somebody, you are basically identifying and speaking out the potential that they have. You're seeing the greatness in them. You're seeing, hey listen, I thought you just did that so well at hospitality when we came round. Do you know that you have a gift for hospitality, is what you're saying. Or you might be saying, hey, I can see you're so good on the media team. Or I can see you're really good at building your business. Or I can see that you've got a real heart for people. And sometimes we need to step out and say the I see a new statement to some of the people around us a bit more. We need to provide some encouragement to others in our world who need to hear that upon, upon them or over them. What is it that you see in the people around you that needs to be verbalized and encouraged and blessed and grown? I see in you What is it that you see in the person next to you The person in your world The the people around you and your families Can you take an opportunity to speak greatness over them The greatness that you see in them That was put there by God Let me share a story of of some prophetic words That have been spoken into my life Um, When I first decided that God was real It was as a result of a prophetic word Um, I I particularly like a Frank Sinatra song Called The Best is Yet to Come And, uh, you know, I'm not a massive Frank Sinatra fan, but that particular song was just something I just thought was great. It spoke about a good future. Uh, And then I I was uh, on an Alpha Holy Spirit Day exploring Christianity, and an elder in this church said, I sense the Lord, he didn't know that about me, about liking the song, He he said, I sense that the Lord is saying the best is yet to come. Now, you can attribute that to coincidence, but I definitely didn't. I knew then, at that point, God knew me. He knew my life, and he told that elder that information, and that elder had passed it on to me by speaking it back to me. And the circuit got complete, and I suddenly went, oh my goodness, God's real. That's ridiculous. That was the point at which I realized that God was real. That was the most important prophetic word in terms of my faith journey because that was the thing that catapulted me to start becoming a follower of Jesus. But let me share something a little bit of the recent journey we've had here in BCC and and my kind of journey to becoming the pastor because I think it's really helpful that you know this. Um, So Pastor Mark left in July last year, didn't he? You know, 4th of July was his final day and then we went into a period of looking for a new senior minister and I helped the elders with that. We wrote up a profile, we held some meetings, we prayed a bit, and then it was really down to the Elam National Leadership Team and the Elam Movement to find us a pastor. And it was like that for a good four months. You know, we were just kind of doing stuff and s- reviewing candidates and assessing word given to me by uh, a gent called Jacob Okagu, who is a uh, part of our congregation now, I think I'm right in saying Jacob's actually just online today but raise your hand if you're here Jacob I know some of you do this crafty thing when you're online and in the room um, <laughs> okay no he's not okay so he's just online <laughs> so Really throws a pastor, you know. Like, you say, Oh, it's great to see. Oh, you're there. Okay. No. Jacob is online, and he won't mind me saying this, but at at the end of the second service on the 24th of October last year, after this period of around four months or so, just under four months, he came to me with a prophetic word. And just so that you understand what a prophetic word is, it's an utterance spoken to you. Kind of as though it's like a direct message from God It would need to be evaluated against scripture um, it's, like a, it's like kind of a the, the word is there And then you might have a prophetic word added on top For your specific situation It would never counter the word of God And it would often come with a sort of a sense That God's presence is in it That's probably my best description of a prophetic word But quite often we have them for one another And they are a form of I see in you That, that Jesus is speaking over us He's, he's, he's loving us into our future with a prophetic word. That's what a prophetic word does. And so Jacob comes to me on the 24th of October, the end of the second service, and he says, oh, Pastor Nick, I've got a prophetic word for you. Do you mind if I share it with you? And I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead. You know, I'm, I'm kind of good with somebody bringing me a prophetic word, and, but I didn't realize the magnitude of what he said was about to say. And when he said it, I was like quite blown away, and I, so much so that I asked him to text it to me, because it was just such a great, I see in you statement. Let me share with you what he said that day And before I share it with you um, what, it, what it made me do Was it made me reevaluate the whole idea of leading at BCC In a kind of seed form Up to that point it was like, no, somebody's coming and I'll just support that After this prophetic word, two things happened Number one was I, I kind of thought, no, you need BCC needs me to up my game fully Just to really go for it, don't hold back you know, be everything that God has called you to be now, irrespective of whether there's a new pastor coming or not, because they need that. So stop, kind of stop playing small. Play big. Play as big as God. Uh, not sorry, that sounds heretical, doesn't it? Sorry, I mean, play, play as big as God is asking you to become. You know, step into the I see in you that God is saying. Okay, sorry, <laughs> wipe that from the recording. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then the second, then then I think the second thing was. Um, there's possibility within this prophetic word to lead as well It could be encouraging you to lead And what I actually ended up doing was I, I waited on it And there were some other things God said to me Which I don't have time to go into now But I waited for a period of a good three months Up until around late February Before then further things happened But let me share what Jacob said to me And I just want to encourage all of those of you in the house that, And online that maybe sometimes think you have a prophetic word Remember it's a form of loving other people To say the I see in you statement From Jesus to them, in the prophetic. Sometimes this releases great things, and I would say that my appointment is a result of that. Okay? Let me tell you what Jacob said, and you can can assess for yourselves whether you think it's a mega prophetic word, because I think it's awesome. It's incredible. He said this, be bold. Stop waiting. This is it. Stop waiting for the drum roll. Stop waiting for the fireworks. Stop waiting for the future. The time is now. The time for the spectacular, the time for the supernatural the time for the miraculous the time to call the sorry the time to call those things that are not into existence the time for instant miracles the time to expect the impossible to be made possible the time to operate in the fullness of your calling gifting action and anointing on your life this is it it is now not tomorrow Amen. what a fantastic prophetic word to give to a pastor awesome Jacob, I thank you for the courage to bring that prophetic word And if you are watching online, bless you And I really appreciate it What basically God was doing through Jacob Was saying an I see in you statement That at the very least meant step up and do the best you can With what you have right now But it might mean, why don't you think about becoming a pastor Like the pastor in this situation And I started to kind of think, (laughs) maybe I should, I don't know And that's where I went into a period of evaluation and waiting I'm going to ask the worship team just to come back now. Let's just go full circle back to what Jesus says in John 13, verse 34. I give you a new command, love one another. Not according to your standard of love, but just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. That's what Jesus is teaching them at the Last Supper. And then we've seen that there, I, I mean, there's, love is unique to all of us according to the relationship we have with a specific person. And it will be the same for you with Jesus as it is with the different people in your life that you love. But there are three ways in which we can love like Jesus does in major ways. First, love, Jesus loves us out of our past. And so there's a call upon us to release people in our world that need to be released from their past too. And that's called forgiveness. So is there somebody that we need to forgive today? Because if we do that, we're loving them like Jesus has asked us to love them. Secondly, Jesus loves us alongside our day-to-day. And we saw the example of Lynette being a person so full of Jesus, she never lacked for company. She always had people around her because of Jesus on the inside of her because she's such a lovely person. Jesus loves us alongside us in our day-to-day all the time. And the call then, therefore, is how can we be company to someone else? How can we be a companion to someone in that same Christ-like way? And you know, it's quite low level. It's not not the big dramatic gesture. It can sometimes be a conversation. It can sometimes be five minutes. Who is it that we can give company to in our world that might need a little bit more company? And lastly, Jesus loves us into our future. Jesus says all the time over us, I see in you, I see in you. So is there, are there people in your world that you need to speak the great thing that you see about them over them to remind them, to encourage them? Who is it that you can speak to to encourage today and this week that you can speak greatness over? Because God's put that greatness in there and it sometimes just needs to be called out. Amen? Would you like to stand with me and we're going to sing. Thanks, Kevin.